why do we need this giant diagram mm. to tell us what our job is mm-hmm. <laughs> or, right. or yeah. where we belong in the organization? Hey, Dan. Hey, George. What do you got for us today? I wanted to talk about everybody's favorite artifact in business. Mm-hmm. The old org chart. <laughs> the old org chart. Like the ye old, old shoe. Ye old org chart. <laughs> ah, yes. The map. The map what? that everyone looks for. Yeah. I mean, we all reference it daily. Oh, yeah. We go back to it and go, Where am, where's my face? It's kind of like looking at a yearbook. And you're just uh-huh. like, as a kid, Ooh. you would open up the yearbook and you'd be like, oh, where am I in the yearbook? That's a was really, I in that class? Who was sitting next to me? That's a really good analogy, George. I like yeah. it. Every yeah. once in a while. Like, yeah, you, you, you open up the, the yearbook and you're like, okay, where, where's my spot? Where's my name? Yeah, I guess that's the question is why, why do we need this giant diagram? Mm to tell us what our job is mm-hmm. <laughs> or, right. or yeah. where we belong in the organization. Yeah. I mean, I think it's a really good question to always ask, or, you know, I ask people like, you know, how's your organization structured, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. just the, in the general, like, you know, who, um, their leadership level. Cause I'm always curious, like how different companies create different positions you know, I've, mm-hmm. I've seen, I've seen companies where literally, I think the C-suite has like 40 chiefs of something. Oh, I know. And I'm yeah, like, can't imagine. Like, what, can't imagine. What, what, what is going on there? Um, and then, and then, you know, you get a C-suite. Right. Right. <laughs> or you'll see org charts where it's like, I don't know, one person, you know, has like 50 people reporting to them or I, I'll hear friends like, yeah. I report to so-and-so and I think he has, he or she has, you know, 50 direct reports. I'm like, how, how do they do that? Yeah. Right. Like, and how, you, how, the assumption yeah. is they don't do it well or right. not that they don't do it well, but it doesn't set them up for success. That's the, right. That's my assumption. Yeah. Because again, it's, it's just a, it's a digital basically map. And so you think, well, how big can it be? But I mean, it, it really sets oh. the tone and creates the, the cultural chain of command really of like, what can I do? who who do I have to go ask permission? And then all these questions, especially as a new employee, I can imagine of like, okay, well, what risks could I take? How, how lenient, you know, like how far can I go before maybe I get my hand slapped? Mm-hmm. What's, what, what's the style of management management that surrounds this org chart? I mean, it's, it's amazing what can the feelings you can get, or, you know, the, the, the meaning you can derive from something that's basically got boxes, a name and a title. And a whole bunch of lines all over the place. A whole bunch of lines, <laughs> which then you kind of have to like trace down to where, you know, you go uh-huh. and who, who's, who's my boss and their boss's right. boss and their boss's boss's boss and right. et cetera. I, I was curious. I went, this is usually your job um, because you're the Wikipedia. Um, I love that app so much. <laughs> I love it so much. You, you love the rapid trails of Wikipedia. I do. But I, I, I went do. down the rabbit trail this time. And I found out that the, at least it's credited to this person. Mm-hmm. Wikipedia says that the um, Scottish American engineer, a railroad engineer, I believe, um, back in 1854, hmm. Daniel McCollum uh, created the first organizational chart of the American business specifically. 
and it was drawn by a George Holt Hinshaw. If you get a chance, go check this out on Wikipedia. There is, um, there's some pretty impressive org charts in this, this particular article, Hmm. but it definitely represented how work was being done in a industrial revolution. Right. Right. We have just figured out how to do things at scale, Mm -hmm. mass production of, of everything. Mm -hmm. Um, And there was the need to figure out how to manage such a large workforce in a new way. Right. It wasn't, wasn't based on agriculture. It wasn't based off of hunting and trade, Mm -hmm. but now off of, you know, manufacturing. Mm -hmm. The assembly line. Yeah. Yeah. And Um, I wonder if it's like also the level of accountability, if they had such a huge workforce, something went wrong. Okay. Who, who's responsible for you? Who do you report to? Or, um, so I wonder if it like, just even as if you think about depending on how they organized it in departments or the part of the assembly line, just a, it's the ideal way pro- back then. And again, still can work today, but of who are you accountable to? Um, who are you responsible for? Who's your team? But the bigger they get, it just becomes unruly. Right. Especially if it's a, a hierarchical type structure. Well, like you just said, you know, some of the, the people we know in large organizations where they have massive people, groups of people reporting to them, you just, we, we've talked about this before in previous episodes, it creates really severe bottlenecks. Mm-hmm. Yep. And if, if the org chart represents not only who do you report to, but who makes decisions, right? then you go, well, okay, all these people just do. Mm-hmm. They don't make decisions. They just, their hands, their bodies. Right. Yeah. You know, they, they turn the the cog, they turn the knob, mm-hmm. you know, right. Um, the person who decides what cog and knob gets turned, that's up there. Right. Above me someplace. Yeah. Um, it is interesting though, that if, if all you have is the org chart, it's hard to derive. Okay. It, Cause you could have, I mean, say if you had like 10 different vice presidents or whatever directors or whatever level you want to mm-hmm, start with, mm-hmm. And you have just this hierarchical structure, depending on the management style or the leadership style, you could have one unit that still maybe works really well. Right. And decision-making goes, um, there's no bottlenecks and it's a two-way communication stream and they get a lot done fast and they're nimble and they're sure, and sure. quick. But if that's not a cultural company-wide cultural good, like a, this is what we, this is who we are as a company, then you could have multiple people in the same structure, but are completely living and working two to two separate lives. Almost. It's like their own different cultures because you could have a management style to where all decisions, all communication mm-hmm. starts with and ends with one person. Mm-hmm. So it's interesting. And I bet that know. happens all the time. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. <clears throat> because the reality is, is so much of organizational structure, organizational management, a lot of times comes down to personality. Mm-hmm. So you're going to have that, that guy or gal that is, just likes the that, that feeds off the control right likes the influence right then you're gonna have the one that is the more emotionally intelligent person that that really wants to really dig in deep to people into people you know mm-hmm. and, and know them well and make sure they're okay and knows their families and everything else I mean, not i'm not saying that either one of those are well i, I would err towards one <laughs> i'll say personally um 
but you, like you said, if you have this mix, then there can be a confusion of how I'm supposed to operate inside this OS, I think is right. um, a brave new work would refer to it as like this operating mm -hmm. system that is the organization. Right. How do we operate in this new way? Right. And so um, what you end up having is an org chart that may, may not, and probably a lot of times doesn't represent the actual style and environment right. of the organization. Um, it I really, think that's, you know, that's, you just put, you, you named it for me because that's been the challenge for me. Cause I transparently have kind of been, and you know, we've talked through it. We've had many conversations, <laughs> a bit of a naysayer in the old org chart illustration. Don't define me. <laughs> Don't put me in a box. Don't put me in a spot. <laughs> well, and it's not necessarily just for me. I struggled to go like, that doesn't represent crema. Right. That doesn't, mm -hmm. yes, it is accurate that that person technically reports to that person, but there's there's so mm -hmm. much more. And even even with the Wikipedia article talks about like, there's some, there's some challenges with the traditional organi organizational chart. One, it's just hard to keep updated. If your company is growing or oh, scaling, yeah. it's, it's so difficult to know who's in, where and if they transfer you know, departments or if oh, yeah. they have somebody gets promoted. It's like, how is that managed? Especially and when it was traditionally drawn. Yeah. Like, there was probably some dude's full-time job right. was literally just to redraw the org chart every day. Yeah. And I feel like if companies, large companies Manually. wanted to make sure that it stayed updated, stayed updated, that they would have to have someone doing that full time. Oh yeah. Cause I mean, just lateral movements within the organization turnover. If you have high turnover, people going in, people going out, uh, department that, restructures. I, I mean, it just gives me a little bit of panic. <laughs> like, that, per, that person goes home to their spouse at the end of the day. And she's like, well, I did it again. I, I redrew the whole thing. There's 7,000 people in this company and I had to redraw it again. I know uh, every single person's name. Yeah. <laughs> Where am I? Way out over That's here. That's right. <laughs> Nobody knows I exist. That's right. Um, I think one thing it, it does is it only, it only points out the formal relationships and not the informal ones, which right. Crema is made up of even as small as we are. You know, we're under just under 50 people. There's so many informal relationships, mm -hmm. which really I would say is probably almost as important, if not maybe more important than some the formal ones. Right. Like that ability to work with your peers on your team, that ability to seek out help from people that you want to grow under or next to just because mm -hmm. you you respect that they're good at their craft. Yeah. Those are those are informal relationships, but mm -hmm. they're really powerful. Yeah. Um, yeah. And if an org chart doesn't do a good job of telling someone, it's important to know, okay, I'm part of this team, but also how does the work get done? Right. You know, in an org chart, because it's so static. Um, and again, there are ways to draw one that shows those relationships, those horizontal and vertical relationships. Yeah. Yeah. But for the most part, um, it's really hard to show. Yeah. Okay. I may be in this team, but I do a ton of work, maybe half my week's worth of work with this person. That's all the way over here. Yep. But the org chart does not do a good job of describing that. I think there are lots of different ways to visualize the org chart. There's the traditional, oh, yeah. there's the traditional top down, mm -hmm. which, you know, like the CEO is at the top, then there's, mm -hmm. you know, the C-suite, then the vice presidents, and then your directors and your managers and your employees, et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. um, and that can be then even subdivided into geographic divisions or product divisions, et cetera, et cetera. Right. Um, that's probably what most people have pop into their head. There's also, um, 
more of a what's the um, spiral mm-hmm. or like chart a model, yeah. a network model, which is mm-hmm. similar, <clears throat> but it's more of kind of a node in line methodology of right. this person is connected to this person in different relationships and they kind of goes out from the middle. Both, I would say the first one is much easier to look at and go, mm, this is clear. This is easy to understand that I report to that person and I know exactly where I sit and I know which team and class I'm in, et cetera. The other one is probably more accurate how work gets done, mm-hmm. that it is a network mm-hmm. of connections and activities, but it's difficult to know where you belong. Right. Yeah. Where do I, where is my contribution taking place? If things hit the fan, how do I, who do I go to, to talk that through with, right. you know, um, et cetera. It's almost like I know where I fit when I'm away from home, you right. know, quote unquote home working, right. but where do I go back to? Right. Where's my, where's my team? Yep. Um, who do I, um, who do I interact with on a daily basis to grow as an employee? How do I have those conversations around accountability? How I want to develop as a person. Um, a lot of times if you try to go too much to let's describe how the work gets done, you lose that mm-hmm. aspect of belonging around like, Oh, I'm a member of this same skill set, or I'm right. a member of this team. Right. And all of these are going to be based off of, um, you know, how, what your organizational structure is. Yeah. Um, yeah how are, how do you actually set up your teams? So if we go back to postures, disciplines, and structures, one of our structures is about your people. How are your people, um, organized in a way that allows them to get the work done that you do, you know, um, the arrangement of the, the people and the work to be done. Right. And, um, like we've said, there can be a hierarchical way of doing that, which is really much, very much top down approach. <clears throat> decisions kind of get made. Big decisions are at the top. Slightly less big decisions can kind of trickle down until you're basically the people are just doing right. Not making decisions, but just doing. Mm-hmm. Um, then there are flat organizational models where mm-hmm. maybe a smaller team usually fits into this, where everybody kind of wears different hats and you kind of all do. Yeah. Well, we started out that way. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, and I think the only, maybe the only organizational like hierarchy we had was just the fact that by definition, the fact that you and I started the company, mm-hmm. that we kind of had that ability to say like, we have some information that not everybody has. Oh we, yeah. Primarily sure. we know what you all get paid and right. we haven't shared that publicly yet. <laughs> right. <laughs> that was the right. biggest one. Right. Um, just, yeah, a more granular level of context just yeah. because, um, yeah. And after that, I mean, as the owners past that, I mean, we all the way up until we were about 15 to 20 people, yeah. it was just you and I, yeah. um, as the, as the only managers and then everyone in the flat and it, and it can work really well. And, you know, for those yeah. that, you know, stay kind of in that 15 to 20, that works really well, but we found out quickly because of becoming bottlenecks that, okay, this cannot, mm-hmm. this cannot work anymore. Not only are, right, are we because, decision-making bottlenecks, but we're also bottlenecks in helping people grow because that's it. That's it. I mean, like yeah. the big thing was that people were saying, cool, so where do I get to go with Crema? Right. And then part of it was like, well, not very far because we're only 15 people. Right. <laughs> so there's a ladder right. to climb here. Right. The ladder is not even one rung, you know, right. <laughs> like right. it's more of a step stool. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. Um, so I think as you grow, though, you do start to ask those questions of like, it, can I grow as an individual, as a professional here, or do I need to go someplace else? Um, which is why a lot of people jump between companies, and that's okay. Um, but if you wanted to stay at Crema, or if you wanted to stay at a small company, what would that look like, or a company that's growing? And then there's another model 
uh, there's a, there's a bunch of different models, but another popular one is called holacracy, holacracy, mm-hmm. um, which I think probably Zappos popularized. Mm-hmm. And this is this idea of almost no one is a leader of anything, um, but everybody's right. influencers of everything. There's a bunch of nuances and really complex white papers and books written about it. We're not going to try to describe how right. holacracy works. I will, I say, will say that say, I was a naysayer on that one. <laughs> For, for you a were long like, time. I was like, Dang I it, don't. There I are don't structures that, yeah. I don't. I don't see it. It's like no one's making a decision here. Um, and and then, it's it's a much more dem- democratic way of working, right? Like it, everyone, it is. It is. everyone has to kind of vote into the decisions that are made. A lot. You have to have like this totally new mindset of the way work gets done. Mm-hmm. And I think yeah. it only really works in a knowledge based industry. Um, right. it, it'd be really difficult to do it in other industries. Not to say, I mean, Zappos was the first yeah. one did it and they were kind of, you know, e-commerce, they were, they were selling right. products, but I, since I, from my understanding is they've pulled back from that model a bit. Um, yeah. And if you go out to their website, um, I will say they've done a great job of documenting the evolution of that model. Mm-hmm. Cause it used to be, they would say we're a, basically a managerless company. Yeah. And which I was always like, well, then who's making the decision and who decides? I and mean, if someone's toxic, who decides that someone gets fired if they're if right. manager list, but that's beside the point. My understanding is the group decides yeah. like the group that you can get it's voted like, out by the tribe. <laughs> it's like designed by committee, which in our experience, a lot of times it most struggle. Time, it, yeah. It can struggle, but they've done a good job and they've pivoted to where they still try to hold true to the model, except they did reintroduce managers for the reason of helping guide and steer decisions yeah. specifically. <laughs> yeah. So it's a support um, role. Yeah. You can even see the evolution within their own own company. So, and I've even heard people, um, I heard, um, someone speak the other day and they were talking about, you know, this is, I've heard this, this talked about before, but the idea of like flipping the org chart upside down and then mm-hmm. truly speaking, it's the people that are doing all the work that are at the top. Cause they're the ones that are actually interacting with the clients. And then mm-hmm. the, really the, that it's a support structure underneath them. Mm-hmm which is these pillars going down to uh, yeah. a core leadership team. And I like that model. I like that. I kind of yeah. like that visual probably better than the top down because it's kind of like, yeah. rather than it being about decisions, it's more about support. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and I do like that. It's but, amazing. This, just the way a visual is created can communicate a lot of different feelings within uh, individuals, yeah. which is why, I mean, obviously this is so fresh for us because we recently just went through Yep. Uh, a restructure. And it was so important to get the visual right. Uh, Cause we knew it in our minds. Like we know what we want. We know what's going to work, but how in the world are we going to visualize this so that people yeah. actually understand it? Yeah. And how does it stay crema? Right. Exactly. And, and, and how do we make sure we communicate it well? Um, so, okay, let's jump into that. We, we did do um, an org chart very recently, um, mm-hmm. a new reorganization of the, at least the way that we're setting up our our reporting lines are our mm-hmm. grouping of people. How, why do we, why did we do that? Why, why now? What, what was the impetus for that? Yeah. Well, and again, a, a structure like this, a supports uh, tool like this um, it supports um, the overall strategy. And for us, and we've been talking about this all year um, is that our desire to scale up since around January, again, we were 10 years into business and you and I kind of had that, okay, where do we go next? Yep. And uh, unanimously, unanimously between the two of us, uh, we're on the same page. It was like, hmm, is that- let's take a vote. <laughs> Did you, uh, you want to raise like, your well, hand? Yeah, we want to grow. And we wanted to grow again 
and we tell this to our employees all the time is that we don't want to get big. So there's no hubris behind this. It's right. more of a desire to take what we do well and just have a greater impact for innovation, creativity, and serving our clients. And so, and for you and I to get yachts. That's right. Yachts. So, yes, <laughs> absolutely. It's not true. Uh, not true. And so, um, we've been working with our leadership team for the last six months on, okay, this is what we want to do. How do we make it happen and developing the strategy and, you know, mm -hmm. loosely where, where do we want to go in the next three to five years to make this a reality? And then the final question was, well, are we, are we structured? Are we set up in a way to where this could actually happen? Right. And, uh, I think we, all of us looking around at each other, it's like, not, not really. Um, <laughs> we're not going to be set up. Well, the way we're set up now works well now. Yeah. And it's been, oh, it's worked well for us up to this point. But even our goal, like 12 months from now, it would be, it would already start to strike. Right. right. Yeah. And so rather than waiting, you know, wanting to get out in front of things, we started to really have those conversations like, okay, how would we restructure? We know we need to, but what does that look like? And we had a series of questions that we were asking ourselves, like, how do we scale well? How do we scale profitably? That was really big for us. Um, the second one was how do we retain and enhance our culture? Right. Uh, that was, uh, and again, these are in no particular order. They're all three yep. Yep. weight. And then the last one, um, how do we continue to serve our clients well? Right. And so how do we help people grow in their work, but also how do we make sure they know where they contribute with their work? And so all of these questions were out there and we wanted to make sure we could answer all of them by a new visual and a new way of working. And we went at it. We, it took us, I mean, gosh, a couple months really of it's like five or six iterations, iterating <laughs> on it and testing it and putting it in front of people and then going back to the drawing yeah. board. And, um, cause I think what we went, we did, went down a couple routes where it was like, well, this, this is clear. And it yeah. was really, it was that traditional org chart mm -hmm. visual. Mm -hmm. And it was like, well, this is clear. Everyone will know where they sit. Yeah. But then then we came back and we're like, but what about, what about where they, what about all these other things they do? What about all these other relationships they have in the organization? Where will, how will they professionally grow? Yeah, technically they'll have somebody to report to, but man, oh, and by the way, this person's going to have like 700 people reporting to them. Here. I'm, right. I'm exaggerating. They're right. going to have a, way too many people reporting to them soon. And in yeah. our model, at least to date, so much of the relationship between a manager and their the person reporting to them has really been about the frequency of spending time together, mm -hmm. knowing their daily work, knowing what's going on in their life, so that you can actually have meaningful impact in right in in the work that they do and the growth that they have. But when you have 20, 30, 40 people reporting to you, right, how is that even possible? Or, or how someone's gonna slip through the cracks, you know. Well, in, in our model, the, with the way we work, the first version of our org chart, it did not, the person that they were reporting to actually didn't have the most insight into their work and how, yeah. they, were, yeah, how they were actually yeah. contributing. It was someone else on a product team that actually right. knew, oh, I, I have more insight into how this person is doing than the direct manager. And so we had to reconcile that as well. Right. Because previously, and actually finishing up this year, we're kind of still transitioning, um, our reporting worked primarily in that whatever your craft or skill is, so developers, designers, um, product managers, et cetera, you report to someone who kind of represents the head of that craft. 
mm-hmm. in a director mm-hmm. or VP level, depending on kind of who was in that spot. And that was great because it was like, well, cool. If I want to get better at being, you know, I want to become a senior, you know, uh, engineer or senior developer, or I want to push myself to learn this new skill in my mm-hmm. craft. I have somebody that can empathize with that right? and can go, yeah, totally. I know, I know who I can connect you with. I know the resource I can pull in. I've, I'm et cetera, et cetera. And um, they can really point you in that, that, that path. The problem was, is that director of whatever that craft was, wasn't on every project, right? And wasn't involved in the nuances of that particular client or the nuances of that particular team. Mm-hmm. And what they, what they often were trying to resolve wasn't actually craft issues, right? It was interpersonal issues. It was, mm-hmm. it was struggles between the expectations of just how we do work, not mm-hmm. the what we do. Mm-hmm. Um, and so most of our issues were when somebody was coming back and said, well, I'm supposed to have this kind of discussion between these people to resolve this issue mm-hmm. that has very little to do with their craft mm-hmm. <laughs> and has more to do with this situational circumstance mm-hmm. of the product team that they are on mm-hmm. and the client that they are serving. Right. Which I'm not a part of. Right. Yeah. So I feel like this fish out of water trying to go like, I can give you principles to help with it, but I don't really right. know what's going on. And I may not even be privy to know what's going on. Right. Um, At that point, you're basically serving as an arbitrator or a mediator. Yeah. Which there's value there. Sure. Sure. It just that wasn't, is- it wasn't, it wasn't serving the frequency of those mm-hmm. meetings well. And it didn't, it didn't do anything. It didn't allow those that were leading to lead the best that they could because of the lack of context. Yeah. And don't get it. me wrong. We have phenomenal leaders, but the oh, way yeah. we were structured didn't allow their full potential um, in those moments to right. come out simply because of the way that we were structured. And so those, and we could sense that and we could feel that. And as, as owners, it's like, okay, th- this needs to be addressed. Right. Um, but it needs right. to be addressed well. So after several iterations on the model, um, what we landed on was actually, was a thing. There was actually a name for this and I didn't realize it. <laughs> it um, actually, I don't think I even realized it until this morning. We'd been calling it. It was like, yeah, this is a matrix model because it mm-hmm. literally looks like a matrix. Yeah. Come to find out matrix models are a thing. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I was looking yeah. at it this morning a bit and the matrix management model mm-hmm. is was actually from my understanding here, at least again, on another Wikipedia article, which you guys could just go on your own Wikipedia, like rabbit trails. You don't have to listen to this podcast anymore. Just, just start going. You'll be Wikipedia. fine. You'll be fine. Um, but it was based off of um, aeros- the aerospace industry in the 1950s. Mm-hmm. They were doing such incredibly creative um, knowledge work-based development, mm-hmm. creating and inventing and disrupting and making so many things so new, so fast they had to figure out a new, a new way to work. Right. The traditional, I tell you what to do because I've been doing this longer than anyone else. Oh, by the way, the aerospace industry didn't exist a year and a half ago. <laughs> so I haven't been doing it longer than you. I just may have been an engineer longer than you. Mm-hmm. So now we're trying to solve these, these rapid problems in a way that's never been done before because we're going to put a man on the moon. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Crazy. Yeah. There's a great podcast on that, by the way. Uh, 13 Minutes to the Moon, or I think that's what it's called. Needless to say, these are all like 20, 30 something year old, mostly men, unfortunately, but, um, but men and women. 
and they they said we got to we got to look at this in a different way. Yeah. And the matrix model is is what they came back to. And yeah. that's that's really where we landed. Right. Um cuz I can only again I'm not looking at any of those org charts in front of me but I can only imagine you have, you know, all these mechanical engineers and you have electrical engineers and you have designers and you have technicians and so you have all of them probably reporting to a director of mechanical engineering or a director right. of right electrical engineering. However, and no one can see me do this right now, but horizontally you have maybe things of columns uh, and rows, columns yeah, and rows, columns and yeah. rows. So the rows are the craft or the division, the department, but yep. then you have, uh, on the, on the rows, you have yep. columns uh, going down rows. You said oh, rows sorry, twice. Sorry, I just want yeah, to make sure yeah. that's clear. Columns, columns coming down. down. Yeah. And then on the rows, you may have a specific type of craft air, aircraft, right? Like, uh, maybe, you know, it's a 737 or it's a 757. And if you go along the row, you'll need one or two or three from each of those departments right, to work right. on it. And so that's that matrix model to where it's cross-functional. Yep. It's people of multiple disciplines coming together to work on it versus just, because you can't just have all mechanical engineers working on one thing in that environment. You need people of different skill sets. Well, and I think it was the first time you saw, you saw exactly that. You saw people that were electrical engineers working with mechanical engineers, working with, you know, mathematicians about the trajectory models that were right. working, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And, um, and really the same is for, is true for us in the way that we do our work, because we're, we're trying to approach building new solutions inside mm -hmm. of organizations that are going to be inspired by other things that exist and probably going to be pulling in you know, existing solutions, but we have to make decisions quickly in order to move those ideas forward quickly. And that means working in this cross-functional way. Mm -hmm. So yep. where we landed was um, if you were to look at your columns down, mm -hmm. the columns are set up really to support the product teams. Mm -hmm. So those cross-functional teams. Now, as we scaled, we realized, okay, well, that's fine. You can have lots of teams, uh, but again, you end up having this bottleneck issue of uh, you know, who do they report to? And so what we did is we um, grouped some of those teams mm -hmm. into what, what we're just, we, we, we were like, don't overthink the word. They're called groups. Um, right. And so each group has a group director that has oversight over those, those product teams. Mm -hmm. So if you're looking again from a top down, you have your group, which is made up of, of a couple different teams. At most, a group probably should only be 20-ish people. Right. Um, a small, it still should be relatively small so that you can still have insight to see what's going on inside of those things. And so when the group director steps back in to have a conversation, they go, yeah, I kind of knew that was going on. Or I'm, I'm familiar with the situation and it's not something that's far off or far away for them. Right. Multiple groups, kind of, all, if you look at the columns across and the groups could be, of course, for our client services, they're based off of client or a project, whatever. And then then for us internally, we have our operations, which is you know HR and operational things about running Crema. Mm -hmm. We have our marketing and growth team, which is a group. And then we might have our, what we are calling product lab or innovation lab, our space where we're kind of working on new ideas and new services. Each of these groups still operate, you know, together as a cross-functional team. Mm -hmm. You could think of it, if you want to use a, a traditional word think of it it's like they're their own division or they're it's their own mini sure. crema within crema if you can visualize that yep um and so when you think about a group director so again we had those two questions of how does someone get like the better mini crema their, the mini crema is good yeah. i like that um 
if you have the one question of how do I get better at my work, but then you also have how do I contribute through my work, the group director is really overseeing how one, a person, uh, an employee at CRIMA is going to use their skill to contribute to the work. So it's around the client work. So they are really directing that aspect of someone's membership or identity at CRIMA. Right. And then on the row axis, on if you kind of looked at it across the way, mm-hmm. what we said was, okay, well, there's going to be, in most projects, there's going to be a developer in each of those groups or each of those teams. There's going to be a designer in most of those teams or each of those teams. There's going to be a, a test in, engineer in most of those teams. Mm-hmm. There's going to be a product manager or a project manager or somebody who's doing management of that. And so what we did was we said, okay, well, then if you looked at across the row, though all those people represent that craft and for mm-hmm. us we refer to them as their crafts or their skills and there's a variations in the craft and that's okay but just generally speaking there's kind of this engineering development there's mm-hmm. um, design product management and test engineering and those things the the craft itself needs to have some level of oversight to know that we're continuing to upskill as individuals mm-hmm. and as an organization because yeah. we've said this a thousand times, if Crema is the same company building off the same technology two years from now that we did two years ago, we'll be obsolete. And so how do we have someone who has oversight of the craft, mm-hmm. making sure that everybody on our teams is upskilling, getting better, has opportunity to grow, is looking ahead as to what's happening in the industry, is maybe right. seeing things or at least collecting the ideas mm-hmm. that the, the, the collective team is talking about. Uh, yeah. It's facilitating um, group discussions, um, learnings, um, conferences, all those types of things. Yep. And so are, we ended- yep. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, I was just say th- there are thought leaders on the craft. That's um, right. They're trying to make sure that we stay relevant. And if you want to use bleeding edge, leading edge, whatever that looks like yeah, on yeah. the craft itself. Yep. So those are our craft directors. Mm-hmm. So if you go again out on that row, then at the end of that row, there is a craft director. And really that person is there to support each of the people in their craft, not necessarily for having like interpersonal accountability, um, resolving issues of the circumstances, but really to say, hey, I understand you're a junior designer. How can I help you to move towards becoming a senior designer? Or how can Mm -hmm. I help you move towards this goal that you want to have in your craft? Or maybe you want to move from design and actually become an engineer or developer. Great. How do I help you think about the transition between those those two crafts? Mm-hmm. And so this this matrix model of both the group director that is has understanding the circumstances, understanding of the day to day work, and then the craft director that has influence in the the development of their skill. That model mm-hmm. was what Crema was already doing. Right. We just needed to figure out how to put people in the right place at scale. Right. And what's great about it is that now across the organization, both at the small, independent, autonomous team level, cross-functional work is being done. Mm -hmm. At the group level, cross-functional work is being done. At the director levels across both the craft and the groups, those those directors are Mm cross-functional. At the, then above that, we have an executive team that is you, myself, and then four individuals that oversee mm-hmm. ops, growth, sales, and the services and strategy. Mm-hmm. And those are, that's a cross-functional group. Mm-hmm. So no matter where you look in the organization, there is no like department that says, oh, here's where we have 
all the devs are siloed off to their dark, you know, corner gamer room, you know, or something that like is a stereotypical thing, but instead this is how people are working together to move things forward Mm -hmm. and grow and develop all the time. Right. I'm excited just talking about it. I'm, yeah. And it's amazing what happens when you state it. Yes. Just naming it, naming it, giving it, um, you give it credence almost it's there's this underlying, like that this is the way it's working and it's working well. How do we make it, how do we actually put it in a position to where it's stated and it becomes a culturally known good, a culturally known, um, way of working at Crema. If we're already doing it, we might as well organize around it. And yes, and it answered all three of our questions. It'll go back to those, those three things again. Yeah. So retain and enhance our culture. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, our culture is great anyways. And so stating this just gives more clarity to how we can grow from a culture standpoint. Yep. It allows us to scale profitably because now we can scale horizontally and not vertically because what we were, um, not concerned about, but we really wanted to pay attention to this is we didn't want to have a very top heavy, yeah. Um, overblown. Everyone's a C-suite. Everyone's where, a director. Yeah. Right. Because the way we were organized is in order to have someone, in order to give someone the opportunity to be developed well, they were going to, we were going to have to have multiple directors, a director, and just mm-hmm. continue to have more and more management and supervision. And for us, it's like, well, we're a small company and we want to scale well. That doesn't bode well. <laughs> Uh, we, we just can't, can't we can't be too that. top heavy, right? <laughs> yeah. we're, we're creating and building and innovating. We need to make sure that not, the majority of our organization are not managers. But well, and, yeah. and it gives, it gives the impression, and this is something I was worried about. It gives the impression that these directors and these executive team members are, are, are more important mm-hmm. or are valued more mm-hmm then the, the people that are, are literally writing the code and designing the products and serving our clients on the front lines. Right. And I think we wanted to kind of shift that away. It's not about importance. It's mm-hmm. about role and responsibility. Yeah. Yep. So as a director, I have a different set of roles and responsibilities. I'm not more important than any, anybody on my team. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm here to help you get work done and I'm going to be involved in that and I'm going to be participating in that. And as a craft director, I'm going to be thinking about what we can do. And also, also, by the way, our craft directors are still practitioners. They're still writing code and they're still right. designing on projects. The, the allocation percentage and billable time is, we can talk about that later. But we wanted to make sure that it wasn't something where it was like, oh, you're only valued once you hit this like tier. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? But what we wanted to say was, no, actually it's those autonomous, those those um, collaborative cross-functional teams that are getting work mm-hmm. done and making decisions down here, that decision-making right. can be happening at the bottom level. And there is no bottleneck to decisions being having to run up the ladder. Mm-hmm. They can actually get done every single day rather than whenever right. the director has time. Right. Yeah. And I think that's, that's a really powerful shift. Yeah, um, absolutely. I mean, you could think of it as, um, as cells. So if we need to mm. create a new group, it's easy to, by the way we've structured things, nothing really has to happen on that row level from a craft level. It's not like yep. we need, oh, great. Now we need another director because we're going to have to hire five or six developers or five or six designers or whatnot. Yeah. Yeah. No, we can hire those individuals. They fall into that craft team under that craft director. So we yep. don't need another craft director. Yep. What we may need or we may not need is another group director or maybe an assistant group director. 
and then we can split a group into two if we need to. And so it's, yeah, you can think it's of it as like cells coming apart and then another group. So that That's was so really good. key for us. Um, and then the last thing, so scaling profitably, profitably retaining our culture, and then also continue to deliver great work. Yeah. And which because, is why we exist. <laughs> right. Exactly. And so the ability to have a director that um, actually have two sets of eyes, which I think is really going to be beneficial to our team is that you have someone that's helping you grow in, mm -hmm. in your contribution. So the way that we're delivering work to our clients, but then also you have someone that's really focused on you as an individual yeah. in your, in your craft. And so yeah. that in of itself is if I know that I'm going to be, I can develop as a person in my craft, but also develop on how I can contribute that in of itself is the recipe that's going to allow us to deliver great work for our clients. And so right. this whole model answered those three questions for us. When it came down to each person, the designer on a product team, the group director, craft director, the, the executive, the VP of you know product, whatever, mm -hmm. we wanted to make sure that each person could really understand wh why they were there, mm -hmm. what, why, what, how, et cetera, of them putting being in that seat. Mm -hmm. um, and some of the things that we, some of the themes that we were thinking about were what is your identity here at Crema? Um, I want you to think bigger about your identity outside of Crema and in general, but what's your mm -hmm. identity specifically in the context of Crema? Mm -hmm. Where's your membership and your relationships here at Crema? Um, where do you contribute or basically like how does the work actually get done mm -hmm. on a day-to-day -day basis? A lot of this is like, sounds good, it feels good, but where does rubber hit the road? Where do you get mm -hmm. your work done? Um, where do you have sponsorship and mentorship? Where can you look to people that you value and respect and want to grow with and beside and under and et cetera? Um, how are you supported in that growth? Mm -hmm. um, how do we make sure that everybody's visible mm -hmm. so that nobody becomes either siloed or slips between the cracks and, and is forgotten mm -hmm. or is off on an island someplace? Yep. And then, and then I think all of that requires people to have a really great understanding of where, where can you seek feedback? Where can you give feedback? in that position, mm -hmm. right? Where, where does that conversation take place? And we'll have a, a lot more conversations about feedback um, in some future episodes. But um, those were just themes that you and I said, we've got to make sure that for mm -hmm. every single person, not just the whole organization as a collective, mm -hmm. but each person will be able to know this. So we came down into um, creating a, basically like an employee card or a player's card or where, I don't mm -hmm. know. We haven't really given it a name. We should come up with something. You have to have this to, should, to, yeah. to gain entrance <laughs> into the building. <laughs> right. Where's your card? Yeah. Where's your card? <laughs> um, on the card, and I think it's going to grow. We thought up some other things that might exist on this card in the future. But on the card right now, we have um, the person's role. So that gives that to that identity idea. So what what's your title? Mm -hmm. um, I'm a senior what are you responsible for product designer. Yeah. 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 What do yeah. I do? Mm -hmm. Um, what potentially, what is your goal? Like meaning where do you want to go? What do you want to become? Mm -hmm. Do you want to just stay a graphic designer? That's fine. But how can we, then we, how, how do you think about being a better designer? Mm -hmm. Um, or I want to be the director of something. I want to be, I want to get to an executive level or I want to become a, a craft per, um, expert. You know, I want to be the best person in this, this role, or I want to go to a, a different craft altogether. Where do you want to go? Where are you contributing on a day-to-day -day basis? So contribution would be probably your team. 
So I, I contribute on this particular team, which, oh, by the way, is a part of this particular group. Mm-hmm. So I know this is where I, I do most so of my, my work. Group director. Yeah, yeah. this is my group director. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that, that def- definitely plays into who do I report to. Mm-hmm. In our model, because we're an agency, you could be on multiple teams across multiple groups. But for the most part, wherever the lion's share of your work is, mm-hmm. that's, that's the team that you have the most belonging to. Um, where do you have, where do I um, experience growth? So that's that idea of what's my craft, right? I'm, I'm a member of this particular craft group. Mm-hmm. And so I know I'm experiencing growth in this area. And then um, where am I getting support from? So both from my craft director, from my group director, and then also something we're talking about, which is kind of this idea of influence, which is we're, we're, <laughs> we're trying not to turn it into another program at Crema, but how do we think about right. people seeking um and participating in kind of mentorship between each other mm-hmm. or sponsorship. I think we're, we're exploring this idea of the word sponsorship. Um, Both are important. Yeah. Too, so maybe sure. take yeah. two seconds, Dan, what's the difference between mentor, mentorship and sponsorship? Yeah, I think of, um, and there's probably a lot to go in. So mentorship, you know, this idea of a master and apprentice or someone that you want to learn under, you want to be trained by, you want advice from. Right. And then sponsorship is more, um, I think of it as advocacy. So right. what we've talked about before on a leadership level is that if you are sitting in a meeting and maybe there's a really important initiative or one of our annual goals and, uh, you know, and under those goals, there's could be multiple projects um, initiatives right. to lead. Right. And it could be, we need someone to lead because of their, um, because they're actually good at the skill or we need someone to lead because they're just really thoughtful in this area. Um, if you know of someone that would be great for that initiative, then it's the leader's responsibility to uh, speak up and say, I think this person would be great for this. And I want to so sponsor them, meaning like I'm going to speak up and say that. Um, so uh, Dan is really good at this type of work. And I would think that we should ask him or yeah. whoever to lead this initiative because they're really good at it. And I think it would allow them to grow would give them more influence into this really important topic for crema and um, they may not be in the room to really advocate for themselves like oh i'd love to take that on mm-hmm. so it's the leader's responsibility to say well i think they would be great so i would love to go talk with them and right. see if they would be willing right. to do this here so that's the idea of sponsorship like you're constantly looking for ways to develop your people when they're they may not be in the room to volunteer themselves i'm so excited about that's a very, like another kind of definition of a bit of an informal relationship that exists at CRIMA. Oh, and, and I think that a lot of organizations have something like that. All of this leads back to the, the tribe in some way in kind of a more flat mentality. Mm-hmm. Everyone's looking out for each other. Mm-hmm. Every, and that was something we did a, we did a, um, a survey recently for like best places to work. And some of the results came back. And one of the things that people said, independent of our influence, independent of, honestly, it was, I don't know who said it. It's, it was, um, what's, the, what's the word? It's, it was blind. I, I, we didn't know who was autonomous, anonymous, autonomous, anonymous. Yeah. They sound the same. They're they not probably um, had some autonomy as they were filling it out. <laughs> that's right. Um, anonymously they're filling it out. One of the things that a lot of them said wasn't about, oh my gosh, I'm so excited that the, the leadership at Crema has equipped me to do the best work of my lives. Mm-hmm. It was about the people at Crema 
all care about the, 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 perf- the growth of the people around them. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what we want to make sure stays the same. And that's the culture. When mm-hmm. people say, well, what makes your culture so great? I'm like, actually, because each person that comes here adds to the culture and they care about the people around them becoming better. Mm-hmm. And that can happen while everybody's participating in their roles and their seats and their responsibilities and their, in the, the overarching organizational mm-hmm. structure, this new org chart. Right. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and really just putting one final point on that idea of sponsorship and why it's so closely related to influence is mm. that um, personally, not only in my own life, but also stories that I've heard of individuals saying, you know what, I got my big start because my manager or my boss, um, yeah, they pulled me aside and said, we think that you would really lead this or knock this out of the park mm-hmm. if you want to do it. I mean, you could probably, everyone could probably think of a time where someone came up to them and had yep. sponsored them or advocated for them or whatever you want to call it of a, a, a big break yeah, or a big project that yeah. got you on a path. And so that's why mentorship. So that's the coaching in the moment, but then the sponsorship happens behind the scenes and you may not know it happened, mm-hmm. uh, which I think is really, it's just a cool story to tell Oh yeah, back on. It's like, yeah, I really, I loved working for this person because they, they really advocated for me. And right. they, they believed in me enough to speak up in a meeting and then come back and say, would you lead us in this? Um, I don't know. It's just uh, really powerful. I think that, but what you just described, this maybe is another conversation, but what you just described could be, could be perceived in two different ways. Mm-hmm. And I, and I want to, I want to name favorites. That. Yeah. yeah. There's a, well, maybe three different ways. I didn't think about the favoritism. So favoritism for sure. Like I've, I've brought this, this young person yeah. under my wing. I selected them out of this group because I like them, mm-hmm. et cetera. And they're now going to be this new leader right. because we favorite them. Right. That's a challenge. It unfortunately is how most organizations build leadership teams. The second thing is that it could be perceived as you just put more work on me or asked me to do something that isn't my role or responsibility. Mm-hmm. I'm not trained or equipped to do that. Mm-hmm. It's not fair that you're asking me to do this, mm-hmm. but because you're my boss, I feel like I have to, or because you're some, somebody influential, I feel like yeah, I have to, mm-hmm. that's one way. Or the posture could be, you just handed me a challenge. I'm, I'm excited to accept it. I'm excited to take it on. Thank you for thinking of me. Mm-hmm. I know that I'm capable of this. And I think this goes back to our conversation about postures. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. If your organization has this posture of everyone leveling up and oh, by the way, your individuals have this posture of humble confidence to say, I have a lot to learn and I'm willing to learn mm-hmm. and I'm confident that I can take on any challenge. Then when you, when you have a moment like that, of someone being sponsored and being kind of called up in some mm-hmm. way, then the culture says, oh, it's an expectation that you should be ready to any, any moment to be called up. Mm-hmm. But if you don't have an environment, a culture, a structure, uh, you know, et cetera, that fosters that, that mentality, that uh, posture, then you could have it become toxic where they go like, oh, you're asking me to do something outside of what my responsibility is. You're asking me to do something that's, that's really, I, don't, I shouldn't have to do, mm-hmm. that I don't want to do. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Um, right. let, me, let me sit and punch the buttons that I'm supposed to punch. Mm-hmm. Um, In those conversations, though, hopefully the the leader has done a good job of letting them know that I'm going to be looking out for that for you. 
and it should be proposed to them in a way to where it's like it's not like you're throwing something on their desk and saying do this I agree with you. I'm just saying, I think that the opposite probably happens more than what you're describing in the ideal. Yeah. And at that point, I wouldn't even call that sponsorship. I would just be saying, I would just call that. I'm just putting more work on your plate. (laughs) Yeah. And I think I, but that's what I'm getting at. I think that it's with all these other strings that are being pulled Mm -hmm. in the right way Mm -hmm. that you can create a culture where people are actually accomplishing more. They're doing more, Mm -hmm. but they're taking it on in a way where they know they know that it has deeper meaning and impact across the outside of just themselves. Mm -hmm. Because again, they care about the perspectives of the team that they're working with. They care about the understanding of where the organization is going. By the way, there's been a lot of work to make sure that the organization knows that everyone knows the purpose of the organization and Mm -hmm. they know the why of why they're going there. And and so if something got put on their desk, it can be like, oh, I get it because this is going to connect to this and that goes towards our why. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. If all those things are in play, which I know Crema spends absorbent amounts of time thinking about, mm-hmm. then it works. But I think that, you know, even as I'm reading all these organizational model Wikipedia pages and they're all it's like the first part is this is the person that invented it. This is why it exists. And this is all the ways that it can go wrong, no matter which organizational model you choose, by the way, even right. the matrix one. And almost all of it comes back to the fact that managers aren't thinking well about the implications of, am I slapping this on somebody's desk mm-hmm. or am I calling them up? Right. You know, that's a different, those are just, yeah. that's a postural difference. And I think sponsorship without invitation is not sponsorship. And I think that's the key word yeah. there is like in sponsorship, you're inviting them into something that you see that they could do really, really well. Right. Um, sponsorship with a mandate is not sponsorship. That's good point. supervision. That's just Micromanaging. That's just micromanaging at that point. It's like, you're not sponsoring me right now. You're just giving me more stuff to do. Uh, but sponsorship is more pulling them aside. And I'm, in, I'm inviting you into an opportunity, uh, but it's your choice. It's yeah. your decision to do it. Well, I'm incredibly excited about the potential of oh, yeah. our new setup here at Crema. I'm really curious to learn more about the organizational structures that you have in your companies or in your teams, um, depending on the size of your organization. Um, I know a lot of small organizations will say, yeah, I'm the designer, the developer, the janitor, and you know, tech support. Um, I do all those things so because we're small, we have to. Mm. Um, but if you're in a large organization, what does it look like to actually have your team have a, an org structure, your, your, your division have an org structure, and then of course the whole the whole thing, the whole organization have its own unique organizational structure. Um, yeah, shoot, shoot us an email. Mm. Just do hello at crema.us. It's a lot easier because I don't think we have a people product email set up yet. <laughs> and you can check out more about crema if you check out crema.us for sure. Um, but I'm excited. I think this is going to be huge for you and I, Dan, mm-hmm. to grow crema mm-hmm. and us also just to see our individuals and our teams thrive as it happens. Mm-hmm. And it's a fun topic to geek out on. Yeah, so you and I can send you, us that you, you, yeah, you and I can <laughs> nerd out on this a lot. So that's right. Well, nice talking about the org chart with you, Dan. You know, that was the most spirited conversation I've ever had about a, a drawing. I loved it. But it's more important than a drawing. It really it represents is. more. Yeah. It does. Well, until next time. See you. Mm-hmm. 
This episode of People of Product was produced by Larissa McCarty with support from Gabby Caton, Julie Branson, and Alexa Alfonso. Our hosts are George Brooks and Daniel Linhart. People of Product is brought to you by Crema, a digital product agency. We believe that creativity, technology, and culture can help individuals and organizations thrive. Learn more at crema.us.